Where do you look when you're faced with the unknown? I think we'd all agree that 2020 was a year of a lot of unknown, and only three days into 2021, uh, there's still a lot of unknown ahead of us. And it's, it's not because of COVID. No, no, no. There's been unknown since long before COVID was ever associated in our mind with a virus. We were wandering in the unknown in 2019 just as much as we are now before Corona was even associated in our minds. I mean, look no further than the arts and, and pop culture to see that this is true. Right before the pandemic began, one of the top songs in our country was called Into the Unknown from Disney's Frozen 2, a song about the confusing journey of life. The, the music really resonated with people, especially uh, the song from that album, When I Am Older. It's actually one of my favorite songs, which is all about how all the crazy and unknown and scary things that we come across in life, it's a tongue-in-cheek song that says, when I'm older, it'll, it'll all make sense, and I won't be afraid, and it'll all just be fine as I, as I face the unknown. This, this feeling of wandering and journeying isn't new. It's just that more of humanity is staring into similar unknowns and wondering how we're going to make it through together. Our text for this evening is written by and for those who are on a journey into the unknown. It's, it's written for, for you and me as we face this next year. Psalm 121 is in a grouping of about 15 psalms in the Bible called the Psalms of Ascent. There are psalms written to God's people and for God's people as they travel from all over the world, from all over Israel to Jerusalem to come and worship at their annual pilgrimage. The roads and ways that they would take were often unknown, but the psalmist wants to make clear that even though the journey is unknown, the God who makes himself known to us in the Bible is more than competent for the journey. Even though the journey is unknown, the God who has made himself known is more than competent for the journey. Would you look at Psalm 121 with me? Lord, make yourself apparent to us in this text and change us because of our reading of it. We pray in Christ's name. Psalm 121 begins, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? We've all had those moments of fear and confusion, moments of paralysis. Where do you tend to look in these moments? Do you tend to look to relationships, uh, family or friend? You call your spouse or your parent in order to be a sounding board. That's what you do when you, you get really afraid. Or, or maybe you're someone who goes to distraction. You turn on Netflix, and that's just how you, you get through it. You don't want to deal with the problem, and so you do that, or you just eat a bunch of food, or maybe turn to something even more unhealthy, like drugs or pornography. Are you, are you someone who just looks inward? You, you got to figure out what's the toolbox I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. How can I fix it? What can I do? How can I do it? Or maybe you're someone who just simply looks to the hills. Do you, do you sit in paralysis, overcome by fear? The writer of our, our psalm faces one of these challenging moments in verse 1. Their eyes are fixed on the hills. Nevertheless, the hills are nothing compared to the help the psalmist, the psalmist writes of in the next verse. Look at verse 2 with me. 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, I, I want you to know that the way that this author is using that word Lord is not the way that, that we use God uh, in modern America. No, no, no. He's not talking about a nebulous guy in the sky uh, who's sending good vibes your way. No, no, no. That, that, that's not what's going on here. You see, before my daughter was born, we called her by a different name almost every day. We pictured in our minds what she would look like and planned her bedroom based on what we thought she would enjoy. But when she was revealed to us, all of those preconceived notions went away. She was no longer the many names that we had written out and the pictures and ideas that we had brainstormed. No, now she was Cecilia. In, in verse two, we have a God with a name, not that nebulous God. We have Yahweh. The writer of our English Bibles are following a tradition you might note uh, when you see that capital L-O-R-D. They're seeking to, to give reverence to that holy name by saying Lord. But, but re realistically, what's behind those letters is the name of God that he revealed to us. He's a, a personal God, a specific God who has made himself known in the unknown. If you're following along today as, as someone who's been journeying with this God, Yahweh, my hope today is simply to encourage you with the truth of who our God is for you as you journey through this next year. If you're journeying along a different spiritual path or perhaps wandering alone and unsure of where to go next, my hope is that you will see that the God who reveals himself in scripture is unmatched in where you might lift your eyes to. My help comes from the Lord, from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. You see, here's the, here's the first truth that our psalmist proclaims about our, our God on the journey. Our God is powerful for the journey. Have you felt helpless at all in these past 365 days? when wrestling with those questions of your toolbox and how can I and what can I do? Did you ever have a moment when you were just overwhelmed by your lack of resources and inability to access any? Our, our tendency as humans in these moments is to put all of our focus on our weaknesses, to, to navel gaze and become frustrated. We look down at ourselves or to either side at our neighbors in, in frustration and anger, but the psalmist chooses to do differently. The psalmist looks up. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Realize this. No other God in the psalmist's world would have claimed this. I mean, at that time, there, it was well known that there were gods of the wind, gods of light, gods of sea, gods of other specific things, maybe countries and regions, gods of other gods. But no God who would have claimed to have created it all. What, is, what does it mean for those who journey with our God? It means there is never a time when he will be helpless for you. Because he is powerful, there will never be a time when he's helpless for you. You see, there's, there's nothing he does not have access to because there is no accessible thing that he did not create. Between stores closing paychecks not coming, and essential items being sold out. Almost all of us 
have groaned over our limitations this past year. But, but when we see that our Lord made heaven and earth, what we see is that there is nothing that is not at his disposal. There is never a time when he runs out of toilet paper or water bottles. He is never hindered from his work by what Target ran out of. There is no mess that he can't clean up regardless of whether or not Clorox wipes are in stock. He is all resourceful as the creator of heaven and earth. And thus he is the all-powerful help for those who journey with him. So if you're journeying with him, what does this mean for, for you and I? It means we should ask of him. Our God is powerful for the journey. So ask. You see, when this, when this same God comes in the flesh as, as Jesus, this is a major point that he wants to drive home to his people on their journey, so much so that he makes the point in so many different ways. There's this one story he tells of a widow who has been wronged, and she goes to this unjust judge, this unrighteous judge. And the story that Jesus tells is that he, she, she goes every single day saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And the unrighteous judge at a certain point just gives in. He's so annoyed. He says that even though he is unrighteous, he is going to deliver her justice because he's just sick of her. And what does Jesus say about this? He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? He's saying, listen, if, if an unrighteous person will give justice by being annoyed, how much more will God respond to the cries of his children, of his people? when they are plagued by unjust, injustice. It, it's, it's said again. Jesus tells another story when his disciples tell him, okay, hey, how should we pray? He, he brings them through that famous Lord's Prayer. And then at the end of it, he really wants to drive home the point that they should ask because of who their God is, that he tells a story of a man who goes to his friend's house at midnight. He's run out of bread and he has a whole bunch of company. He knocks on the door and says, hey, uh, can, can you give me some bread? And the friend says, no, it's, it's really late. I don't want to wake up my family. And so what does the friend do? He keeps knocking and knocking and knocking and he becomes so obnoxious that the guy says, well, fine, I'll give it to you. And Jesus says in Luke 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What's the point? <laughs> the point is, our God doesn't run out of bread. He doesn't run out of means of delivering justice. Our God has all the power that you need for your journey. If you're a follower of this God, perhaps in your anxiety, you need to remind yourself who this God is. He is the one who made heaven and earth. So ask. Our God is powerful for the journey. But if a God is powerful and powerful alone, that doesn't do us much good. There are many religions who claim uh, to have gods who are powerful, but, but what good is his power to you and I if there is no intimacy? Sadly, that's the, the kind of God that Albert Einstein said that he believed in. Famously, he said, I believe in a God who reveals himself in the lawful harmony of the world, not in a God who concerns himself with the fate and the doings of mankind. A God who is powerful but not present. That's actually a philosophy, a popular philosophy in our world 
known as deism. This idea that God created the world, established its rules, got it spinning, and then went and did his own thing. He's, he's left us behind. A God like this is, is of no help and is not the kind of God that's revealed in the Bible or in this psalmist's song. Rather, our God is present for the journey. He is powerful for the journey, and he is present for the journey. Look at verses 3 to 5 with me. The psalmist continues, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. See, the journey through the hills is still very much in the mind of our poet, as a person's stable footing is very important when crossing a hill. Those who sing this song were, were often dealing with rough terrain to make it successfully to Jerusalem. They'd have to face deep valleys or steep hills. What our, what our psalmist says is that our God will watch our feet so that we don't fall on that narrow road up the hill to Jerusalem. You might wonder, though, why, why, why take such a risk if it's narrow and dangerous and rough terrain? Like, why would I do that? And the response the psalmist says, the, the, the word that he gives as a salve to the soul is because he doesn't sleep. Why should you, why should you make the journey? Be, because he doesn't sleep. Now, I mean, if, if you were climbing a steep hill and I was the one who is responsible uh, to making sure that, that your foot doesn't stumble, that your foot doesn't come out of place, that you, that you are safe, and you said, hey, Eric, how do, we, how do I know that I'm, I'm safe? How do I know I can trust you? If I responded, oh, don't worry, I didn't sleep last night, that probably wouldn't give you very much comfort. It might even make you uh, decide to, to stop the journey, abandon it, just come on down from what you were doing. But that's not what God says. That, that's not what the psalm says about God. It doesn't say that he didn't sleep or that he won't sleep. Rather, it says that he doesn't sleep. He has no need of sleep. Twice it's repeated in the psalm. Look at it again. Look in verses three and four. He will not slumber. He will neither slumber nor sleep. It's just not who he is. There is no moment, friends, when the Lord needs to rest his eyes. There's never a time when he will be tired for you. Perhaps you've been caught in a bind and needed help, but you were afraid to, to call that parent or friend because it was too late and you didn't want to wake them. There is no too late for our God. Perhaps you called and they didn't answer because they were fast asleep, so they didn't hear the vibration on their nightstand or the ring of their phone. There is no sleeping for our God. He never runs out of energy for his people. He is never not present. He is never not there. No other gods in the psalmist's world would have claimed this either. They all slept. If you look at writings from the ancient Near East, they all took breaks some for seasons, some for parts of the day, some for weeks. But Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who created all things, including the laws of energy, never runs out of energy. And it's personal. He's there personally for his people. This is what the psalm says. Remember, I said this is a, 
a psalm of ascent, a psalm sung on the journey. Perhaps you had some songs growing up that, that you used to sing on your journey, in your car, on a trip. I know right now, every time we get into the car, my daughter calls out to my wife and I from the back seat and says, let's sing a song together. And so lately, it's been uh, the wheels on the bus, which can I say is a huge improvement from Baby Shark. I'm so glad we're not singing that song anymore. Psalm 121 was one of those songs, not a Baby Shark song, more of a Wheels on the Bus song. It was a, it was a traveler's song, a song to be sung in a group as they trekked toward Jerusalem. And we, and we can't miss how the song changes. I mean, look, look at it again, verses one and two, we see something interesting there, the pronouns. The pronouns are important. The, the pronouns are my, my, my in verses one and two. But, but once you go down, they all change. Now it's all you and your, you and your. You see, this is a song where someone was totally in their head. They were in their heads about their mys and mys. And the song is meant to move you out of your head to the yous and yours, to sing it to your neighbor, to sing it to yourselves. Friends, we should encourage one another with this truth. We should encourage ourselves with this truth. And we must sing it to the others who are journeying with us. The Lord is your keeper says verse 5. And perhaps the person who doesn't want to sing in the car, the person who's sitting on the side is thinking, yeah, but what can he do for me so far away in heaven? And so the song keeps going. It's not just that he's your keeper. It's not just that he's the one who made heaven and earth. The Lord is your shade. I'm your right hand. You don't get more present than that. Perhaps take a moment now and Close your eyes. Imagine yourself sitting and seeing a, a friendly shadow cast on your hand. Someone has to be pretty close to, to cast that shadow. You see, the same picture is actually painted by the prophet Isaiah in, in his prophecy in chapter 52. It says, the Lord will go before you <coughs> and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You see, Isaiah and the psalmist are saying basically the, the same thing. This God, this God who we travel with in the unknown, he has your back. You've heard the phrase, but have you known it experientially? Someone who, who's looking out for you, someone who, who truly wants what is best for you? That is God. Our God is present for the journey. So rest, rest. Because he is powerful, you should ask. But because he is present, you should rest. Rest your mind, rest your heart. I love the way that uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a British preacher from the 1800s, said it so beautifully. He said, God is as near to us as our shadow. And so we are as safe as angels. We, we see the proof of this as God, when he becomes super present in the incarnation, as he takes on flesh in Jesus, we, we imagine an absolutely perfect human being and all the categories are, are just kind of blown, right? When you think of someone who, who really has it all together, someone who is perfectly moral, perfectly upright, our minds typically think of that person as possibly being snobby and standoffish judgmental. 
when we're around those types of people who we think really have it all together, our tendency is to do the opposite of resting. Uh, we become extremely self-aware and stiff, trying to make sure every, every move is, is right. But what we see in Jesus is a God who invites us near in his presence with the promise of ease. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come to me. This is what Christ says to, to people. The perfect human says to all people who hear him, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not I will give you a plan to, to be better. Not I will give you a toolbox so you can fix your problem. No, because I am near and because you can come, I will give you rest. It's hard to rest. It's hard to let your mind be at peace when the unknown hills are reflected in your eyes. But he is powerful and he is present. So we are safe and we can rest. If he's powerful but not present, he's of no good to us. But if he's only powerful and present, then he's merely dangerous. He's the monster under the bed or the the bully who has you cornered alone. But as we see in our remaining verses, that's still not our God. He's not just powerful and present. He's more than that. Look at verses 5 to 8 as we look at the final verses here. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Our God is powerful and present, and he is also protective for the journey. Our God is protective for the journey. If you're someone who's, who's willing to mark up your Bible, I'd encourage you, grab a pen right now. Grab a pen and, and highlight, circle, underline the word keep in this text. You're going to see that, that that word keep is actually used quite a bit. It's actually used six times uh, in this text, and it's an extremely important word uh, to come up six times in a, in a psalm that only has eight verses. The, you see, the word is full of meaning. It's the word that will be used to describe someone who has a great treasure and holds it very tight. He, he keeps us in this way. He holds us near. He treasures us. The Lord is your keeper. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Using the picture of the sun and moon might, be a, might just be a way of reiterating that he doesn't sleep and letting us know that, that he is with his people day and night, sun or moon. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Perhaps a, a key to, to understanding this text actually comes a thousand years later in the prayer of Christ that we see in John 17, where Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You see, I think that's what this verse is getting at. God's people are in the world under the same sun and moon as everyone else. The sun that causes people to fall in the wilderness from heat stroke or the moon that brings with it a time of darkness, danger, and chills. Jesus prays that, that God the Father would keep them from the evil one. And our psalmist sings that 
With God, neither the sun nor the moon shall strike you. Derek Kidner, uh, who's written beautifully about this psalm, says it just in a way that I, I think is unmatched. He says, to be kept from all evil, as our psalm says, to be kept from all evil does not imply a cushioned life, but a well-armed one. You see, more than likely on your journey, maybe in this new year, you'll have seasons where you'll go through what the, the writer of Psalm 23 calls the valley of the shadow of death. You'll face those times of deep confusion and anger, of danger, of sadness and sickness. But you can rejoice because your powerful, present, and protective shepherd is with you. He is keeping you so that you can say with the writer of Psalm 23, I will fear no evil for the Lord is with me. If you're a follower of this Lord, if you, if you know and follow his son, Jesus Christ, you can be assured that he is your protector, your keeper. You're going out and you're coming in, it says, are kept. He keeps us safe morning and evening. You see, when the pilgrims left their tents to go out and when they returned to their sleep, they, they never actually knew uh, who was going to be around them because they were moving to a new place all throughout this journey. What he's saying is, they can trust this truth that God would protect them. Our God is protective for the journey. So what? So move. Move forward. Don't be deterred. Don't be afraid. Don't just sit. You see, this was the problem that the, that the ancient Israelites had when they come to the land of, of Canaan. And it's actually the problem I think most Christians have today. When the ancient Israelites came to the land of Canaan, they saw the people who were living in the land uh, and they were overcome by fear because of how big they were. They were paralyzed. They looked to the hills and what did they do? They sat back. They said, we can't do it. They had seen God's power through the plagues in Egypt though. And they had felt God's presence through a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. But they didn't trust his protection. And so they, fought, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, sustained by manna. I, I, I regularly talk to, to Christians who are bored. They are bored with their spiritual life. They feel like their, their spiritual journey has gotten stale. Could it be that perhaps they're refusing to move, to move into what God has given them? They see the battles with sin and the devil that might be required, and they settle for, for easy manna. Instead, friends, the, this word says, he will keep you. Do not settle. Keep moving in your journey and he will be powerful, present, and protective for you as you go. If, if he's powerful, but not present, he's of no help. If he's powerful and present, but not protective, he's, he's merely dangerous. But if he's powerful, present, and protective, and needs us, then he's suffocating. Perhaps when you hear the words of this song, you, you get the wrong idea. You hear shadow on your right hand, and then the word keep six times, and you, you, you think of a suffocating presence, perhaps a, a helicopter parent, as they're sometimes called. They say, I, I only want what's best, and they very often believe that they believe that, their idea of best is based on their idolatry of you. 
And so rather than giving life, they suffocate it. Unfortunately, that's often how people think of God. And maybe that's, that's how you think of the God of the Bible. A suffocating presence that won't just let me live. Oprah Winfrey famously rejected a God like this on her talk show almost two decades ago when she was reflecting on a church service where the preacher read from Deuteronomy where it says, the Lord is a jealous God. She got really upset with this. She rejected a God who was jealous of her. And friends, she was right to. You see, a a God who is jealous of her will be a God who is demanding and will reject her the moment she no longer meets his needs, the moment she sins, the moment she messes up the moment she's no longer lovely and satisfying. But that's not the God of the Bible. You see, the God of the Bible is not jealous of his people. The God of the Bible, the God of Deuteronomy in that text, is jealous for his people. And that makes all the difference. Because we have nothing lovely about us. We have nothing that we can offer him. We can never be good enough for him or beautiful enough for him. And yet he loves us anyway and sent his son for us. You see, there is no suffocating need with our God. Rather, he is powerful, present, and protective, and it is driven by mere love, a desire to have them. The Apostle Paul says says it in this beautiful way when he puts it together on, on why we can be secure in this present powerful and protective love. He says in Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not about us. It's about his love that will sustain the journey. If he's powerful, present and protective, but needs us, he's suffocating. But if he is powerful, present and protective and loves, then he is our greatest need. And his powerful, protective presence is the greatest news to be sung on any journey. Our God is powerful, present, and protective. He is more than competent for the journey. And through Jesus Christ, we know that competence is driven by love. So where have you lifted your eyes? Who will you ask of? Will you be able to rest? How and where will you move? Hear this song of of good news tonight and sing it to others that you can rest, that you can ask, that you can move in the love of Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Lord, our lives are filled with many hills and unknowns. The sun beats down and and drains us of strength, but your shade is near. Let these truths from this psalm Be a refreshing breeze to our hearts. Give us grace to know you as our more than competent, present and protective provider as we journey on through this new year. In the name of the one who gives us rest, 
we pray. Jesus, amen.